I cannot tell you how good it is to see you. But you have answered a question, actually, and that is, is anybody going to show up for this thing this year? <laughs> and man, it's good to see you. And we're so thankful that uh, you've come. I've got, I know we've got people that have traveled uh, great distances to be here, and thank you uh, for that and, and being a part of the lectureship as we are so happy to have our lectureship back. Um, last year was really a tough uh, year for us to have to cancel the, the lectureship, and I know that it was disappointing to a lot of people and uh, probably some that are here tonight that were planning on being here last year. But we're back on, and we're grateful for that, and we're grateful for an opportunity to lift our voices in praise to our God. We've asked Ken Dottie to lead us in a couple of sessions of singing, one tonight and then one Sunday uh, afternoon before the evening lectures. Uh, Ken is an elder and the evangelist for the Dahlia Street Church of Christ here in the Denver area. And he is also uh, one of the teachers at the Bible Institute, has taught Greek for us for <laughs> who knows how many years, um, a lot of years. And <clears throat> I, I thank God for Ken in a lot of ways, but I'm thankful that he is teaching Greek because I taught it before him and now I got someone else to teach it and Ken uh, has taken over for that and does a, uh, such a great job. So we, uh, we love Ken and his wife Shelly and the Dottie family and are blessed that they can be a part of, of this. Let me lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll turn it over to Ken. Father, we acknowledge you and praise you as our God, as the creator of the universe, as the one who so loved us that you gave us your only begotten son to die for us. And Father, the joy that we have in our hearts knowing that our salvation has come through Jesus is something that is <clears throat> what encourages us, motivates us, and we're so thankful that we have you as our God, that we can pray to you, that we know that you care about us, and that you have given us the, the, the great promise of eternal life. And Father, we pray that you will bless us tonight as we worship you in song, and that it will be pleasing to you as we lift up our voices. We pray that you'll be with the lectureship as it runs uh, through the next uh, several days, that all of us will be encouraged, we'll learn more of your word, and we'll truly be blessed by being here. And these things we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, good evening. I agree with what Denny said. Uh, it is so good to have everybody here and all primed for several days that we can spend together and uh, in fellowship and in studying God's Word, encouraging one another. And so we're going to begin that tonight. Uh, I've chosen several songs. We're going to have them up on the screen, and that way we can move from one to the next without uh, too much delay. So the first one that we want to sing is, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. This is not the one, the one that we normally sing. It's the one that's a little less known. So... Uh, but I think we know it. Ready? 
All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Let angels prostrate fall. For the royal diadem and crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him, and crown him, Lord of all. Okay, everybody got it? <laughs> all right, two. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, on this terrestrial ball, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him, crown him, and crown him. Lord of all, all that yonder sacred throne, we at his feet may fall, we at his feet may fall, we'll join the everlasting song. And crown him, and crown him, Lord of all. Amen. All right. Each step of the way, uh, altos, you have... A lead on this one, so be ready. Which is not the one I chose. Well, it's my my problem. All right. Sorry about that. I walk with the Savior each step of the way. I trust Him to guide me by night and by day, not dreading tomorrow or what it may bring. I'm safe in the keeping of Jesus the King. Each step of the way, 
by night and by day leads nearer the home eternally fair where we shall meet you once awaiting us there who walked here with Jesus each step of the way with joy we shall enter the city of there of wonderful beauty and mansions all fair his own shall be changed and made like him that day because we've walked with him each step of the way each step of the way by night and by day leads nearer the whole eternally fair where we shall meet loved ones awaiting us there who've walked here with Jesus each step of the way. Okay, I guess that's all of it. <clears throat> Angels are singing. I love uh, Tilladus Tedley's songs. And I don't know if you know, but he was one of, of us. And uh, it's, you know, it's just great to be able to sing the songs that he wrote. And uh, there's a whole bunch of them, but we're going to sing one tonight, I think, and one Sunday night. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Ready? Angels are singing redemption, sweet song, wonderful theme, glorious theme. Shout the glad message and join with the throng, singing redemption song. Sing the sweet story, redemption, sweet song. Over and over the chorus prolong Shout the glad message and join with the throng Ever will sing praise to the King Singing redemption song Over and over the melodies ring Wonderful theme, glorious theme Heaven resounds with the tribute they bring Singing redemption song Sing the sweet story, redemption, sweet song. Over and over the chorus prolong, shout the glad message 
and join with the throng. Ever will sing praise to the King, singing redemption song. Joy beyond measure awaits us up there. Wonderful theme, glorious theme. Soon we shall join with the angels so fair, singing redemption song. Sing the sweet song, redemption sweet song. Over and over the chorus prolong Shout the glad message and join with the throng Ever will sing praise to the King Singing redemption song All right, one that has become a favorite, I think, of many of us. Over the last few years, he gave me a song. I think we need to stand to sing this one. All right, basses. Get ready. <clears throat> he took my burdens all away up to a brighter day he gave me a song a wonderful song a wonderful song i now can sing in my heart joy bell ring he gave me a song a wonderful song he gave me a song to sing about he lifted me from sin and doubt, oh, praise his name. He is my king, a wonderful song he is to me. Brighter the way grows every day, walking the heavenly way. He gave me a song, a wonderful song. A wonderful song I now can sing in my heart joy bell ring. He gave me a song, a wonderful song. He gave me a song to sing about. He lifted me from sin and doubt. Oh, praise his name. He my King, a wonderful song He is to me. I am redeemed no more to die, no never to say goodbye. He gave me a song, a wonderful song. And some of these days in that fair land I'll sing with a chorus. Grant, he gave me a song, <clears throat> song, he gave me a song to 
sing about He lifted me from sin and death. Oh, praise His name. He is my King. A wonderful song He is to me. You may be seated for now. All right. On Zion's glorious summit. You know, if I were to list my top 50 favorites, uh, (laughs) that would be in. All right. On Zion's glorious summit. (laughs) On Zion's glorious summit stood a numerous host redeemed by blood. They hymned their king in strange divine I heard the song and strove to join I heard the song and strove to join Hear all who suffered sword or flame for truth or Jesus lovely name shout victory now and hail the Lamb and bow before the great I am and bow before the Eternal love shall feast their souls and scenes of bliss forever do. Rise in succession to their view. Rise in succession to their view. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts, our high adored, who like Oh, Almighty. to do what we call a stack on this one. Uh, We're going to sing all four verses. Well, let me start over. First verse, sopranos only, everybody on the chorus. 
Second verse, add the altos, everybody on the chorus. Third verse, the good part, add the tenors, everybody on the chorus. Fourth verse, add the basses and the chorus, and then we'll do the chorus again. We need to stand to do this one, please. Now, ladies, please watch. Don't drag. Not that I thought you would, but anyway, don't drag. Okay. <clears throat> When peace, you ready? One, two, three. When peace. Everybody, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my Everybody, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my Oh. 
clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, be seated. That sounded terrific. Ken, thank you so much for uh, doing such a good job and leading us in song tonight. Going to go right into the uh, lectureship part of the program tonight, uh, but we have a tradition that we always begin on Thursday night with the dedication of our lectureship book. And I'd like to read to you this dedication, and you can see, I believe, as Uh, read this dedication, why it is dedicated to those that it is dedicated to. In the epistles of Paul, he always mentioned men and women who were faithful, dependable co-workers in ministry. They were Christians who brought joy to Paul because they shared his love for the Lord, his passion for the ministry of service. Such is the case with this year's dedication, Bill and Pam Stewart. Bill frequently joked, who would have ever guessed that the Lord could use a bean farmer from Macquarie, Arkansas? But with hearts dedicated to service, the Lord put Bill and Pam to work. First, they received training. It started with the White Ferry Road School of Preaching and then on to the American School of Religion in West Monroe, Louisiana. Bill loved learning, and he continued his education, receiving both a bachelor's and a master's degree from the Bear Valley Bible Institute. He put that education to good use, not only with his work at Bear Valley, but all over the world. Bill and Pam made mission trips to numerous international locations, including Germany, France, Switzerland, Greece, Israel, England, Canada, Russia, India, China, Ukraine, Mongolia, Guatemala, Honduras. It would have been easier for me to say where they didn't go, I think. 
Bill was instrumental in planning the Lord's Church in Russia and in Mongolia. He also helped plan a church north of Denver, what is known as the Carbon Valley Church of Christ. Bill came to Bear Valley having successfully served as a preacher for the Lord's Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa. He and Pam worked for that church for 22 years from 1975 to 1997, 10 years of which Bill also served as an elder. In 1997, Bill and Pam were asked if they would be willing to leave that good work in Council Bluffs and help in training preachers. Without hesitation, they moved to Denver and began their journey with the Bible Institute. During Bill and Pam's tenure at Bear Valley, they wore many hats. They both were instructors, Bill teaching the men in the daytime program and Pam teaching the women students in the women's program. In addition, Bill served as Dean of Students from 1997 to 2007, and Pam served as the Dean of Women from 2004 to 2007. In 2008, Bill became the Director of Development, and he and Pam began traveling across the United States telling others about Bear Valley. It was always easy to see how much Bill and Pam loved this work. They encouraged countless men and women to come to the school, and as a result of their efforts, dozens of preachers and their wives are working in churches from coast to coast. Amen. There were numerous times that Bill and Pam talked about retiring from their work at Bear Valley. He would say, however, that he loved the work and felt good enough to continue doing it. Plus, Bill and I had a deal. He couldn't retire until I did. Well, apparently, the Lord had other plans, and he called Bill home on July 6, 2021. The loss of this great man is already being felt, not only by the Bear Valley family, but people whom he has impacted all over the world. It is only fitting that this year's lectureship book be dedicated to people whose names will forever be associated with the Bear Valley Bible Institute, Bill and Pam Stewart. Pam knows that the book is being dedicated to her and Bill. She's not able to be with us tonight. And, um, but our hearts go out to her and our prayers as she continues to deal with the uh, unexpected uh, loss of Bill just uh, a few weeks ago. So keep her in your prayers as well as the Stewart family. Um, but we're proud and honored to be able to uh, dedicate this lectureship book to them. This book uh, is now going to be on sale uh, back in the foyer uh, after uh, the lectures tonight. If you want to secure one or if you want to wait until tomorrow to do that, that would, <clears throat> would be fine. As we enter into this next session, I have asked uh, my son Brett to lead us in a, a verse of a song. And then after the verse of a song, Mark uh, Bassett, who is uh, a Bear, also a Bear Valley graduate, is a preacher at the Bright Angel uh, Church of Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada, to come and lead us in a word of prayer. And then after the song, and then Mark uh, after the prayer, I will come and introduce our speaker for this evening.
Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the heavens praise his name. Praise Jehovah in the highest, all his angels praise proclaim. All his hosts together praise him, sun and moon and stars on high. Praise him, O ye have of heavens, and ye floods above the sky. Let them praise his gift, Jehovah, for his name alone is high. And his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted. And his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. Would you please bow with me as we pray together? Father God, we're grateful and thankful for opportunities like this, especially after our past year that we can come together and we can hear men of your word preach to us and, and the women teach the classes that they're teaching. And we're mindful and praying for each of them, Father. We pray that you use them in your service. We pray that you uh, that the message, messages that they've prepared, not only do we pay attention to, but we take those things and be able to apply them to our lives in a way that serves you. We're grateful, Father, for Bill and Pam Stewart. We're grateful for Bill's work that he um, so diligently served you with and we're mindful and, and looking to him as we remember how we ought to serve and, and may we always look to Bill and Pam and the, the service that they had and use them ex as an example of service to you. We ask Father now that you would be with our brother Dan as he presents in, uh, this lesson to us. We pray again for our attention. We pray that we would use those things and apply it to our life and that we would serve you better in our time and, and effort as we uh, listen to those things and, and put them into practice in our lives. We're most grateful, Father, for your son, and we offer this prayer in his name, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The Lord has blessed me in many ways, and one of the, the ways that I am very appreciative of is uh, having two best friends. Best friends that grew up with, best friends that are both involved in ministry, Dan Owen and Mark Hanstein, both of which are on the lectureship program this year. Uh, Dan and I have known each other for the vast majority of our lives. Uh, there have been so many times that we've been able to do things together, study together, talk about the Lord's work, the Lord's word together. He and his wife Cindy, who is also here with them, have been married for 48 years. Dan and Cindy have three children and seven grandchildren. Dan is one that we use uh, very much uh, in the, the Bible Institute. He teaches uh, seven different courses and also teaches in our master's program as well. But he has <clears throat> preached and taught full-time 
uh, for 42 years. He was a full-time instructor here at Bear Valley before moving to the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. And Dan continues, he is uh, no longer the, the, the pulpit minister, but is uh, one of the uh, <clears throat> teaching ministers there at the, the Broadway Church. And he continues to do a lot of programs, some of which you may not be familiar with, but you need to be. He has a program called Conversations with Dan and another program that he calls Passage Attack. He is also one that's been prolific in writing and has a recently published commentary on First and Second Corinthians, which is fitting since uh, the last part of First Corinthians is what this lectureship uh, is all about this year. Uh, Dan, as I mentioned, is a good friend, is a dear brother, and one that I love and appreciate very much. And when I thought about who should kick off this lectureship and kind of give us the big picture of uh, the, the Corinthian letter, it was a no-brainer in my mind that uh, Dan Owen should do that. So Dan, come and preach the word to us. Thank you, Dennis. Uh-oh. How much have I got? He says, don't go overtime, don't even think about it, look at that clock down there, and you're going to trap, you know, fall through the trap door when it's all over. <laughs> it's so good to see all of you. It, it does unnerve me for the last couple of times I've done this that Denny's so nice, because I'm, frankly, I'm just not used to that, you know. <laughs> And um, it makes me nervous, you know, what's coming next? But no, really, I do appreciate it. I love all of you. I love Denny. And uh, I, I love the singing. I love all of these young men and all of the gone before them. It just boggles my mind to think of the, the years and years of producing these men and what they've done as a collective throughout the world. It just, it's unbelievable. And uh, it's a great blessing to be with you here tonight. Um, on the lectureship program... I think I won the title for the most boring title on the entire program for a lesson. A summary of 1 Corinthians. Oh, I'd want to hear that, you know. <clears throat> so like many uh, lectureship speakers who you give them a topic and then they do whatever they want to do, uh, I'm going to do that, but I really am going to give you an overview of 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to do it in such a way as it doesn't feel as much like that because... My approach to the study of the New Testament is to find those underlying themes that hold books together, and those are the big messages of the books. <clears throat> and so really, I'm going to preach you a sermon on the big message of this book. Everywhere I go, all over the United States, I find that the Lord's Church is, for lack of a better word, it's just scattered. Uh, it's just almost unmoored. Uh, the, the winds and shifting sands of, of human opinions human philosophies, societal norms, you know, have the church going every which direction. You can't go to a church that says Church of Christ on it and think for one moment that you're going to hear the same thing in this building as you're going to hear in that building or that they're going to believe the same thing or preach the same thing in this building as that building. And it's everywhere. <clears throat> it's, it's all over. Uh, at one time, I might have thought it was regional. It's really not. 
you would think of the Bible Belt down where we live in Kentucky and Tennessee as, you know, everything's solid as a rock. No, You've, we've got everything from soup to nuts. And so is there all over uh, the, uh, the brotherhood. And, and I don't know about you, but I've spent my entire life, and I'm older than you think I am, I've spent my entire life working for this cause that I believe in more than anything in the world. And I'm very afraid about where the church is right now. And not always for the reasons that some of you think I am. But we're going to get down to it for a few minutes tonight, and we're going to talk. The biblical goal, I like to be biblical, don't you? The biblical goal for relationships between Christians in churches and the relationships between Christians in all churches is that we stand together with Christ on one clear platform, on mutual solid conviction that causes us to be of one mind, one focus, one mission, one direction toward the salvation of souls. The church of Christ is about the salvation of souls, period. That's what it's about. It's not about anything else. That's what it's about. Paul made a plea at the first of uh, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. And this was a heartfelt plea because the Corinthian church was a troubled church. It was so chaotic. It was so divided. It was so filled with division and faction. And he begged them because he loved them. He said in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I beseech you, I beg you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things that there be no divisions among you, and that, listen, that you be perfectly joined together in one mind and in one judgment. <clears throat> but how in the world, if you look at the church across this country and the world, how in the world is that even possible in our world for us really to be of one mind and really to be of one judgment? Because in the human opinions of people everywhere, we find nothing but division. We're divided over politics of all things, and that's a shame. We should never be divided over that. That's this world's business. We're about God's business, brothers. Stay out of that mess and get in God's business and keep your nose in God's business. You're going to sow divisions if you get into that. Let's be unified in Christ and in the things that Christ says. Social issues we may disagree on, but the, you know, the things in Christ is what we must agree on. Uh, preferences that we have about orders of service and all that kind of stuff. Those things uh, we ought to give a little uh, grace on, but when God speaks, we ought to be together. So tonight I want you to think with me, and I want to challenge you, if you will. I really don't want this just to be a lectureship talk. I want to challenge this group of people. Will you think about what we're saying tonight and how it applies to you, not to somebody else, not to some straw person, not to some imaginary enemy out there on the left or wherever you think your enemies are, but how does this apply to you and how you go about practicing uh, the Lord's work? <clears throat> so if we have to have points, point number one. When we seek different kinds of wisdom, there will be continual divisions among us. You know, across the country, elderships are looking at the latest polls, they're looking at the Barner research. They're looking at the Pew research polls. 
Uh, they're polling the congregation and seeing what the people want. That's the way they're doing business. They are um, looking at other churches and saying, what is everyone doing? And that becomes the basis of decisions more often than not. And elderships and preachers and leaders of congregations need to be thinking about what does God say? In the Corinthian church, <clears throat> they were so divided because they didn't respect the same kind of wisdom. Athens is just a few miles to the north and, and uh, east of Corinth. And the philosophers there, their, their rhetoric, their schools, there was a, a, a societal norm in the Greek mind about, uh, you know, those uh, thought processes and philosophies that were respectable. There was a wisdom, a well-accepted societal norm of wisdom that educated Greeks followed, and there were some of those in the Corinthian church. It was hard for them not to keep depending on that kind of wisdom. And here comes this uh, preacher, this itinerant preacher, and he does, instead of speaking to them in the philosophies of the world, he just tells them something that happened. Let me tell you something earth-shaking that's happened over there in Palestine. There was this man, Jesus, you know, and let me tell you about him, and let me tell you what actually happened, and what the governor did, and how he died, and how he rose from the dead, and, and the implications of this message, and he didn't dress it up in rhetoric or any of the other things, he just told them. And so Paul talked to him about a different standard. We need to tell people from the get-go that we in the Lord's church operate on a different standard than the rest of the world. We don't operate on the same standard. We operate on God's wisdom, not on the latest polls or the wisdom of men or even the preferences of the congregation. We operate on God's wisdom. Now listen to some scripture. This is Paul talking about this very thing. He says, the message of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. But to them that are saved, it's the power of God. As it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of the intelligent I will bring to nothing. Where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of what was preached to save those that believe. Now the Jews, they're asking for signs, and the Greeks are seeking after wisdom, but we are preaching Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Do you believe that? And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at your calling, brothers. Look at Christianity. Behold your calling. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many powerful. Not many noble-born are called. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowborn of the world and the despised, even those things that are not, to put to shame the things that are. And then he says at the end of that chapter, whoever's going to boast, let him boast in the Lord. Look, the Corinthian church was divided because there were so many leader kind of people 
that had so many different opinions, and they couldn't come together on one standard, one modus operandi, one place that they could all stand. And today, you know, we in Churches of Christ, especially, may I say, in the right-hand side of the Churches of Christ, we say that we're all standing on the same standard as Paul was. I'm not so sure about that, brothers. I'm not positive about that. Keep your shirt on. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment, okay? We often talk about what certain men say about the Bible. Brothers and sisters, that's the wrong question. What does the Bible actually say? The Bible itself, what does it say? Which, you know, brings me to another point. You've got to have points. Number two, we've got to have mature spiritual people. And mature spiritual people are those that accept God's revealed wisdom as the final word. The only kind of wisdom that will ever bring any unity to us is God's revealed wisdom. And we've got to let the Bible be the last word on whatever. Now, that's part of our problem. We won't let what Scripture says be the last word. But we need to learn to do that. We must openly tell everybody that comes to us that we operate on a different standard, a divinely revealed standard, and we will stand on that standard. Oh, but oh, it's archaic. Oh, it's not in sync with the times. It's not politically correct. Look, Christianity from the first century has always been a counter-cultural movement. It is a counter-cultural movement. If we listen to the culture, we'll never be on the place that God wants us to be. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to meet the culture with our methods. That's not what I'm saying. But the church needs some mature spiritual leadership. Paul, talk to us for a minute. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, I, brothers, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or wisdom, making known the mystery of God, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And even my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Listen, so that your faith might not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now look at verse 6. We, and we as the apostles, check chapter 4, verse 9, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. See? Among, we speak wisdom among the mature, he says, yet not a wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age which are coming to nothing. But we speak God's wisdom is in a mystery which was hidden, which God foreordained before the ages unto our glory. And he says, as it is written, things which no eye have ever seen, things which no ear has ever heard, things which never entered the mind of man, what things God has prepared for them that love him. Do you know that the divinely revealed word of God, the plan of God for the salvation of man and for the lifestyle of man, never came out of any societal norm. It never came out of any human mind. It never came out of any university or school or philosophical uh, uh, group of people. It never came out of any of that. It only came from one place, and that is direct Holy Spirit revelation from God 
to the apostles and prophets. Look at verse 10, chapter 2. He said, to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, who among men knows the things inside of a man except the Spirit of that man which is in him? Even so, the things of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Then Paul says, but we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God. Now, listen. That we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things, that's the things freely given to us by God. Which things also we speak. What do we speak? We speak the things that have been revealed by God. Didn't those old preachers, those old Scottish Presbyterian guys that became Christians, didn't they say, speak where the Bible speaks? What was that last part, all you right-hand guys? What was that last part? Be shut up where the Bible is silent. That's your problem, whether you know it or not. Okay, that's that's my problem sometimes. Okay, so, you know, to us, God has revealed them by the Spirit. He says, the things freely given to us by God, verse 12, verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. Oh, how many pulpits we've got. Where that's most of what we're getting on the Sunday morning sermon. Which things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but in words which the Holy Spirit teaches, bringing spiritual things to spiritual people, for the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those people that so respected that that societal norm, that, that intellectual erudite wisdom of the time, that it eclipsed God's wisdom. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That means the, the, the revelation of God is not the last word for that guy. See? The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned, and he cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. Now look at the contrast in verse 15. But he that is spiritual discerns all things. See, he's the same guy. The spiritual man of 2.15 is the same as the mature man of 2.6, where he said, we speak God's wisdom among the mature. See, he that is spiritual in 2.15, he accepts and respects this divinely revealed wisdom, and he discerns it, and yet nobody else understands him because they don't realize, they think he's on another planet because He has a set of beliefs that's totally different than the world. That's supposed to be us, that spiritual person. See, that's supposed to be us. All right? So what's the long and the short of this? Well, have you ever tried to explain moral principles to a worldly person and had them respond, look at you like it's the craziest thing they've ever heard in their life? Because what you're giving them out of the Bible is so foreign, so different, so alien from what the society says, that it's just weird. See? It is weird to them because it's different. It's from heaven. It's from God. And it's always going to be weird. See? That's the way it is. So, if we're ever going to have unity, this, listen really good to this. If we're ever going to have unity in the church, in the churches of Christ, in, in individual congregations, in the church at large, we're going to have to have some of those spiritual people And those spiritual people, for goodness sake, need to be the preachers and the elders 
in the churches, spiritual people who revere and respect the Word of God above all other things and do what they do because the Word of God says so. Now, what are we going to do about this? I'm talking about the people in my congregation as well as yours. Our people need to hear the Bible taught a lot and clearly and often and sequentially and correctly. What I mean is a little Bible verse or snippet in a sermon every once in a while and no class ever, that's not going to get it. They're going to have no understanding of the whole Bible. They're going to have no understanding of the Bible story. They're going to have no understanding of the basic specific teachings of the Bible. That's not going to get it. And those of us that are preachers and elders in the congregation are the ones that are supposed to be making sure that they get it. Okay? So they're going to have to get this some way or another. Too many of our churches are canceling Bible instruction. It's not going on very much. They get a 20 to 30 uh, minute a week generalized pep talk instead of real Bible teaching. And let me tell you this, preachers. When I try to train preachers here and help these men train preachers, I don't want to train people to give 20 minute pep talks. I want them to teach people God's word. And that takes time, and that takes effort, and that takes doing it in a thorough way. By not doing this, by allowing our congregations to get to where they have almost no Bible instruction, and the Pew Research polls and the congregational polls are driving what we do, whether we know it or not, we are sowing the seeds for division. We are not building a standard for unity, and we must change that. In chapter 3 of Corinthians, Paul said, And I, brothers, when I uh, came to you, I could not speak to you as uh, to spiritual people, but as to fleshly people. See, the spiritual people, there are 3.1, are the spiritual people of 2.15, are the mature people of 2.6. Okay, that's the same group of people. But I couldn't talk to you as to spiritual people. How come? Because you've never finally, once and for all, said the word of God is the only thing that matters and it's the very end, last word on everything. You've never decided that, see? So I can't talk to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal people, as unto babes in Christ, he says. I gave you milk to drink, not meat to eat, because you are not able and you're still not able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you jealousy and strife, are you not still carnal? What was that jealousy and strife about? It was about that guy's opinion and those people that were following him and that guy's opinion and those people that were following him and that guy's opinion. And all of them were educated, but they weren't going by that one standard that could keep them all on one mind and one judgment. See, that was the problem. So he says, when one of you says, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, what are they? Are you not yet men? See, I planted, Paulus watered, God gave the increase. But see, they're just men. What, what causes the growth? God. What's the seed of the Spirit? What's the seed of the kingdom, brothers? What causes the reign of God to come into a person's life and take over that life? There's only one thing. Luke 8, 11 says the seed is the word of God. 1 John 3, 9 says whoever is born of God cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because his seed remains in him. And he cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. What's the seed? First Peter, born of incorruptible seed. What is that? It's the word of God. How are we going to transform lives into the image of Christ 
if we're only given a 20-minute talk on Sunday morning, we're not studying the Bible together. We've got to plant the seed. We've got to. If not us, who? If not us, who? You guys that are preaching. If not you, who? You have that responsibility to put that seed into the hearts of people. Now, point number three. By the way, in, in 318, he, he says, you know, let no one... Uh, he says, whoever thinks he's wise in this world, if you think you're wise in the worldly way, let him become a fool that he might become wise. And in, in 321, he says, let no one boast in men. See, this is the theme throughout. Oh, I'm following so-and-so down in Texas's program about this. Oh, we're following this guy's program over here. What about God's word? And what it actually says we're supposed to do. Okay, point number three. Those who trust in human wisdom go beyond the things that are written and begin to follow men. Now, here's where it's going to get dicey. Those who trust in human wisdom, they go beyond the Scripture. Okay. Now, look at chapter 4, verse 6. This is such an important verse. You say, some of you out there dying, you're saying, How is he ever going to get through Corinthians? Just, just relax. All right. <clears throat> Look at chapter 4, verse 6. What, what I'm trying to show you is everything that comes after chapter 4 is based only and solidly and squarely on what's been decided in those first four chapters, see, about what kind of wisdom we're going to follow. So in chapter 4, verse 6, you've all read the scripture in chapter 1, you know, and in chapter 3, some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, blah, blah, blah. Look at chapter 4, verse 6, where he really explains this. These things have I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. What does that mean? That means it really wasn't Paul and Apollos that were the leaders of those different factions. It was the names of those educated Greeks in Corinth that fill in those blanks. See, And Paul was not using their names to spare their feelings. So these things have I transferred in a figure to myself and Apollos for your sake. Now listen. That in us you might, not, you might learn not to go beyond the things that are written so that none of you, listen, should be puffed up on behalf of one man and against another man. That's the problem in Corinth. That's the problem in our churches. Let's talk about going beyond the things that are written. The left, and this is such a right-handed crowd, I'm sure you all have an image of what I'm talking about. See, I've always had a problem in my life because I've never been able to be in a club. The, the right kind of looks at me like, oh, man, you're weird. I don't know, you know. And the left says I'm more conservative than Attila the Hun, you know. And so, you know, I can't get in either club. But anyway, the left goes beyond what is written because they tend to minimize the statements of Scripture and they even detract from the commands of God. Remember that Deuteronomy scripture that says, You shall not add to the things that I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from them. Well, the left diminishes aught from them. This is the part y'all are not going to like. But this crowd, and those that really are with Attila the Hun, on the right of this crowd, maybe, maybe they're not. The right tends to do the opposite and add its own laws and its own traditions to the clear mandates of Scripture. 
We're not happy enough with this is what the Bible says. We want to add our own local traditions and make them into laws along with the laws of God. We want to add our local customs. We want to add the way we've always done things, even if the Bible doesn't support it. We want to go beyond it and add more restrictions and more laws that the Lord didn't add. Now, that's just the truth. I'm sorry. That's the truth. And if we don't stop doing that, we'll never be respected by young people who are really searching the Bible and really want to know what the Bible says. And they'll say, I can see that the Bible says this. But I don't see that the things that you've added here, see? We don't want to own that. I'm saying that if you can, look in your own life and own that and examine yourself. Because I doubt that very many here are trying to detract from the scriptures. We feel like that, you know, if we preach and teach the traditions, that nobody will ever get to the, to the scriptural line, you know. But we lose respect of the world when we don't stick with a this is what the Bible says. I've had elders in the church. I've asked elders in the church before, where's the scripture you got that from? I think it's a fair question. And they've become angry because they didn't have a scripture at all. But I think a a preacher ought to be able to ask, where's the scripture that that came from? Isn't that fair? And if we don't actually have a scripture that it comes from, then we shouldn't be making an issue out of it, whatever it is. Now, the bottom line here is, will you accept God's wisdom from scripture and act upon it? What should the church of Christ do? We should do what the pages of scripture in the New Testament command us to do. Huh? Right or not? Yeah. We should do what the Bible commands us to do. What should we not do? Well, we should not do the stuff that the Bible commands us not to do. Why do we have to go beyond that? Right? I think we shouldn't have to go beyond that. So in chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, You might have 10,000 tutors or teachers or guides in Christ, but you've only got one father because in Christ Jesus, I begat you in the gospel. And then he says, I beseech you, brothers, be imitators of me. Now, everybody open up two passages. And Denny's sitting on that timer right down there. I'm not going to let him down. Open up two passages. One is chapter 1, verse 10, and the other is chapter 4, verse 16. Open up those two together. I want you to see how these go together. I beg you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things, that you be perfectly, that there be no division among you, that they be perfectly joined together in one mind and one judgment. Then chapter 4, verse 16. Be imitators of me. And for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you so he can remind you of all my ways in Christ Jesus, which I teach everywhere in every church. Don't you see that the answer to 110 is smack dab in 416? Because since Paul and the other apostles got their revelation right directly from God, that's why he said, Be imitators of me and do what I teach in every church. Do what the apostles teach, period. That's where we find our unity. Listen to me. 
We'll never find unity when we go beyond the things that are written. Now, this is really going to be quick. It's going to amaze you. So what happens after this in the book of Corinthians is Paul takes some of their issues and he says, now you want to know God's wisdom on that issue? I'm not going to give you man's wisdom. I'm going to flat out give you what God revealed on this issue. So he first deals in chapters 5 through 7 with uh, God's wisdom on fornication and marriage. They had this guy living with his father's wife. He says, like the, almost in the language of the first petition, down about verse 4 or 5 of chapter 5, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together with my spirit, uh, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And at the, at the end of that chapter, chapter 5, he says, put away the evil from among yourselves. He got that out of Deuteronomy 17, 7, and all the phrases that occur after that that say that same thing. Put away the evil from among yourself. You, uh, one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. You know, A little leaven does leaven the whole lump. You can't let sin go and not say anything about it in the church and do what God wants you to do. So we have to take action if there's sin in the church. That's God's wisdom. I didn't write it. The Corinthians in chapter 6, I think if you read the, the, the verb to judge, they were trying to go to outside sources to make judgments on the situation involving this guy living with his father's wife, and they were going to court with outside judgments to the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God to solve that matter. And down in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 5, he says, Can you not find one wise man among you? He means with, with biblical, spiritual, divine wisdom from God. Can you not find one wise man among you that can, can judge between his brothers? But he says, you're going to pagan judges. You're going to fornicators and idolaters to make a judgment about fornication. What sense does that make? That's how that goes. And then he keeps right on going with fornication. And the bottom line on fornication, this is really quick, 618. Flee from fornication. Run as hard and fast the other way as you can. Chapter 7, verse 2, to avoid fornication. Let each woman have her own husband. Let each man have his own wife. And let the wife give to the husband her due, and the husband give to his wife her due. It means don't withhold from each other sexually. See, that's how you avoid fornication. Then he gives you laws for God's, God's laws for marriage and divorce, etc. All right, go to that next slide. In chapters 8 through 10, he gives God's wisdom on flirting with idolatry. Now, this is weird because it puts me in a bad position here, Dennis, because our, our uh, lectureship this week is on chapters 9 through 16. I know you had to split it somewhere. But see, what that's like is cutting off the first part of the conversation because chapters 8 through 10 is one long con con uh, conversation. Now, a lot of people, they make erroneous conclusions from reading chapter 8. And it's like listening to the first five minutes of a 20-minute phone call and not hearing how it turned out, see? Because in chapter 8, he's placating the Corinthians and trying to talk in some general terms, and the Corinthians are demanding their right to eat meat. But in chapter 9, Paul mentions three things that he had the right to do, but he never used those rights, see? And then he makes the point that if it comes to the salvation of soul, even if we think we have the right to do something that might cause our brother to stumble, we shouldn't do that thing. And then in chapter 10, he gets down to what he's been trying to say in chapters 8 through 10. In the first part of chapter 10, underline all the places he talks about eating and drinking, eating and drinking, eating and drinking. 
Why is he mentioning that? Because the whole thing was, can we associate with these idolaters and eat the temple food and get as close to idolatry as possible without falling in, you know? And he shows that Israel tried it over and over again, and they failed. And these things were written down for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. So let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. See? He's saying, don't mess with that stuff. And then in verse 14 is the bottom line for chapters 8 through 10. See? If you listened until they got done with the conversation, verse 14 says, flee from idolatry. Don't flirt with it. Flee from it. Run as hard as you can. And then he says down in verse 20, the sacrifices of the pagans, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Do you think you can drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons at the same time? Do you think you can eat from the table of the Lord and the table of demons at the same time? Are you going to provoke the Lord to anger? In other words, stay away from that stuff in Corinth. Leave it alone. Then go to the next slide. Lord's Day Assembly. Oh, my goodness. We could have the whole thing here. Chapter 11, the first 16 verses. What's appropriate modest dress for the Lord's Day Assembly? Chapter 11, verse 17 through the end. How are you really supposed to take the Lord's Supper? They were, what they were doing is the various factions in Corinth were having their own little separate Lord's Supper in the assembly. There was this guy with his group over there in one corner having it, and that guy and his group over in that corner having it. It was a display of division instead of a demonstration of unity in Christ. And that's how they were doing it in an unworthy manner. And we got a ways to go in thinking about discerning the unity of the body and what that really means in our teaching. But that's the wisdom of God in chapter 11. Chapter 12 deals with the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. Now, here's the key verses, I think, for chapter 12. 12.7, 12, 12.11, 12, 12.18, and 12.28. These are the verses where it says God has placed the different gifts or the different members in the body so that all of the functions of the body could be there. We're not all supposed to do the same things. Don't preach to your people that all of us are supposed to be evangelists and all of us are supposed to be teachers. The Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches that some people in the body are mouths, some people in the body are hands, some people are thumbs, some people are feet. That's, you read the chapter and those verses, that's what it says. It says when we're all working together, that's when the body of Christ grows. We've got a mission as a church... If we all do what God has gifted us to do and we work together, we'll succeed as the body of Christ. Chapter 13 says that the principle you use in using your gifts in the church is the principle of love. If I use my gift, how can I be helpful and in the interests of the whole body of Christ? What can I do in the best interest of others? Chapter 14, he tells you what to do in the assembly of Christ. And I think it's the Lord's Day assembly because... He's already mentioned the Lord's Supper. But what can you do that's edifying and building up to the church in the assembly? These are the words that he uses which should be the objectives of our assembly. Edification, uh, encouragement, comfort, instruction, conviction, and worship. Those of us in education, we try to set objectives and then achieve those objectives. Those are Paul's objectives. For the assembly. Are we achieving those object objectives in our assembly? Chapter 15. Oh, this has got to be fast, didn't he? Chapter 15 is God's wisdom on the resurrection. You know, chapter 15, verse 12. 
If Christ has preached that he's raised from the dead, how come some of you are saying there's no resurrection of the dead? The very core of our faith is the resurrection. And Paul affirms it. He says in verse 19, If we've only hoped in Christ in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ is risen from the dead, the firstfruits of them that are asleep. So our whole faith is placed on the resurrection. That's the bedrock of our faith. And then in chapter 16, of course, he talks about the collection of the saints. But the one passage I want you to focus on in chapter 16 is chapter 16, verse 15, which goes back to the issue of different factions and division. This is the third I beseech you. So you had an I beseech you in 110, and an I beseech you in, in 416, and this is the third one. He said, I beg you, brothers, you know the house of Stephanus. They were the first fruits of Achaia. In other words, the first converts of Achaia. He says, they, uh, he says submit yourself to people like this who have dedicated themselves to the ministry of the saints. You know, Follow leaders like this. So what's the bottom line? When the church is following every faction of every opinion from every person that wants to lead people in different directions, it'll have chaos. But when you follow spiritual leadership, which means people who absolutely revere the divinely revealed word of God, and for them, that's everything. And that's what we need to do. And that's the last word on every matter. When you do that, and only when we do that, will we ever have unity in the body of Christ. I love you. God bless you. Uh, you can have four seconds back, Benny. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>